That, that song is a sermon right there. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much that you do hold our hands and that you walk with us and that you are near us. And I pray that you would come and be in our hearts this Sabbath day as we continue to worship you and as we share in the spoken word together, Lord. Be at the center of our worship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm glad to be back. This is the second time that I've been to this church, and um, I am actually making good on a promise that I made you last time that I was here, and I said that the next time that I would come, I would share my story if you invited me back. So here I am, and today I'm going to share you with you my story in the context of being a single woman, because this is a singles emphasis weekend. Um, But this story is for everyone to hear. I hope especially that the young people are listening because my God is real, my God is powerful, and he's been very present in my life. So it's a privilege for me to share with you. The uh, introduction that was given is the cleaned up, washed up, sanitized version. We all have one of those, amen? Of what has happened in my life. Now I'm going to give you the messy version of that. Because God often works with messes, doesn't he? So, I have a question as we begin, and I just want to take a survey by show of hands. How many of you like mathematics? Ah, there's not very many people. I'm going to put my hand down, because I do not. Anybody that knows me knows that I hate math, and I am not numbers still count on one hand when I have to do addition. That's true confession. Um, It's not my gift, never has been, uh, but when I was in high school, I was a very ambitious young woman, and so one of the things that I did was I took what were called AP classes. Do you all know what AP classes are? They are classes that you take that prepare you for college, and at the end of your Uh, semester or your year, you're able to take an AP test so that you can test out of those classes in college. Saves you money. So young people, if you are looking into college, try to take those AP classes and test out. Um, But that is the type of classes that I was taking my junior and my senior year. And when we were doing sign-ups, I went to a public high school called Chisholm High School. All of the AP classes were full. I was late in signing up for my classes, except for just one class, and that was calculus. But that's myself. I've taken Algebra 1. I've taken Algebra 2. I've even taken some trigonometry a little bit. Uh, how bad could calculus be? Y'all, you guys are laughing. Um, so I got in over my head, I'll just put it that way. And we went, I went into this classroom. The teacher's name was Mr. Matusik. He is one of my heroes. He was there within class, and he was dressed in full military uniform. And he said to us, <laughs> I still laugh thinking about it, he said, this is one of the hardest classes you will ever take. But if you stick with it and you follow along with me, I will be with you 
every step of the way. I will be here before class, so you can come and ask me questions if you need tutoring. I will be here after school if you need to have extra help. I'm going to be with you on this journey, and we're going to accomplish it together. That was his methodology. Mr. Matusik then began to write on the board something called functions. Do you all know what a function is? Good, because I still don't know. <laughs> so here's the deal. I'm just going to give you a summary of my understanding. If it is incorrect, you guys can correct me. Please do. It's been a long time since I've taken this course. Uh, so here it is. For a function, y equals f of x. Does that sound familiar? A stationary point is a point on the function of the graph where the gradient of the function is 0. If the gradient of the function changes signs at the stationary point, then it is called a turning point, which can be a local maximum or a local minimum. How many of you that made sense to you? Because it didn't make sense to me. As he was writing this on the board, I thought, what have I done to myself? this year. Um, and I, I had a really hard time with this concept. It, I went to a lot of tutoring sessions before school and after school. Got a C in the class, but it was the best C and the proudest one I had ever done because I worked hard for that C to pass that class. So I was proud of that grade. Uh, but just to summarize what this type of formula is, this is a formula that you can use when you are doing a graph to be able to figure out exactly what point on the graph you were trying to calculate in your numerical formula. That is what a function is. It's a way to calculate points on a graph. So there's a special, there's, there's a point on this graph. Does this have a pointer? I don't think it does. Yes, it does? Oh, there's the button. It doesn't work. I'll just point with my fingers. So there's a point on this graph where there's a high point and a low point, right? You see those two dots up at the top and down at the bottom? Whenever the number changes in your formula, that graph will begin to change and either move down or move up. And you can pinpoint exactly when and where that point happens, and that is called a turning point in your formula. So for every number, every point on this graph where the is you should be able to plug in a function and you should be able to calculate this is a turning point within this function. This is where the graph changes. Having said that, the only reason that I bring this up and the only reason that I'm talking about math today is because I do believe that turning points don't just happen in math. I think that they happen in real life too. How many of you guys have ever said or heard somebody say, I've reached a turning point? Or you have said, I was never the same when this happened in my life. Those are turning points in the human experience. And we all have them. We all can relate to this. Um, and I do believe that there are several examples of this in Scripture. One of my favorite examples is the story of Moses, and that's where we're going to pull from today as we talk and study together. So let's turn to the book of Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1 is where this story begins. And we're going to look at verse 8. Now, prior to this, the people of Israel had moved into the land of Egypt because of whom? Do you know who? Let me hear. 
Why, why were these people in Egypt? Why were the Israelite people in Egypt? Because of Pharaoh, yes. A little bit earlier than that, there was a person named Joseph, very good, who brought his family into Egypt, and they settled down in the land of Goshen. And they prospered, and they multiplied, and they grew. But as this generation came and went, a new Pharaoh came into being that didn't know what Joseph had done for Egypt. And this is where we're going to pick up this story. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. He saw them as a threat. Verse 10 says, Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply. And in the, in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So this Pharaoh was afraid that these people would rise up and rebel and fight and conquer the land of Egypt. So what did they do? In verse 11, it says that they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Python and Ramesses. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, the more they spread out, so that they were in the dread of the sons of Israel, meaning that they kept on prospering, and it was so bad that the Pharaoh ordered that all of the young babies, boys, be killed, right? We know that part of the story. So this oppression happened with these people because this king did not want these people to rise up in rebellion. And they were treated harshly. They were forced to work in the hot desert sun. They were forced to move and create bricks and to build for this kingdom that was not their own. And the Bible tells us that the people began to cry out to God and tell of their plight. Now that's Exodus chapter 1. Now in Exodus, Exodus chapter 2 is where we hear about Moses. Children, what does this story say about the story of Moses? What happened to him? How was his life saved whenever, he, whenever all the baby boys were supposed to be killed? Do you know? What happened? Let me hear you. He got put in a... Ah, very good. We know this Bible story well. He was put in a basket by his family. He was hidden to a certain age and then laid in a basket. And who found him in the basket? Pharaoh's daughter. That's in Exodus chapter 2, verse 5. Let's look at this together. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens, Walking alongside the Nile, she saw that there was a basket among the reeds, sent her maid, and brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying, and she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. So Pharaoh's daughter found this little boy, named him Moses, and this little boy grew up in Pharaoh's court. He was considered a prince because he was Pharaoh's daughter's adopted son. So when you look at Moses in this position, and I look at this from a human perspective, I could say that God was setting up Moses right then and there, right? Because he was set up as a representative of his people in Pharaoh's court to be able to save his people. I think that in theory, that might have been where that went, but there was something that happened. He grew up with the best training, he grew up with learning how to 
fight and do well with the best education, with the best of the servants, with the best of the best of the best of everything because he was a prince of Egypt. But something happened in the case of Moses that sent him into exile. This part of the story, where is this found? In Exodus chapter 15. It's a little bit, a little bit before. Exodus chapter 2, excuse me. Verse 12, verse 11. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, this is after he had grown up in the palace, he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. So this time he knew that he was a Hebrew. And looked on their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw that there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Now what happens after this? He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you a prince or judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled down in the land of... Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, the rest of the story, we're going to fast forward a little bit, was that at this well, he met his future family, right? And he settled down with his family. He got married. He had children. And all the while, he worked as a shepherd for his father-in-law. Now, does anybody know how many years he served as a shepherd? I heard it, yes. Four years he, he served as a shepherd, serving for his father-in-law in the fields. And shepherd's work is difficult. This is not nice green pastures like we have in Texas. <laughs> this is a desert with rocky terrain, difficult to find water, difficult to protect those sheep. And this is what he did. And I believe that this point was a forming because God needed to prepare his heart for his turning point moments. And that is my favorite part of the story, the burning bush. Let's look at that together. Before we do, let's, let's look at these two stories. So right along this line, you have two stories going on. The first is Moses' story. And that's the fact that he was a prince that grew up in a kingdom, but he was exiled and sent to the wilderness, right? That's where he was. The other story that's happening at the same time is the story of the Israelite people who are still crying out to God, who are still being oppressed, who are still under hard labor in Egypt. And again, if I'm looking at this from a human perspective, I would have looked at these two stories and said, these people will never intersect ever again, right? Because Moses was already settled down. He had a family. Why would he ever want to go back to Egypt when he had the threat of being killed? Yet there was this turning point here in the story of the burning bush. Let's look at this in chapter 3. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. If you ran into a bush that was on fire, that was still green, would that get your attention? 
it would get my attention. And I think he was curious in this moment. He realized that there was something odd about this. So Moses said, I have to turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And this is the turning point right here. And Moses says, here I am. Now, this phrase within Scripture is no ordinary phrase. This is a powerful set of words, and it is only used just a few times. It is a phrase that is used when a little child, if you have a little child that is playing in the yard and doing things with their toys, and their mommy, daddy, or grandma, or grandpa calls out to them and says, come inside, it's time for supper. That child stops what they're doing, they look up, and they have full attention on what their parents are saying. And they say, here I am, I'm coming, I'm hungry. You ever done that to your family? It means you are my parent, my leader, my authority, and I am focused in with all of my attention on what you have to say. Now that changes the way that we read this phrase. Here I am. It's only used a select amount of time. When Samuel answers to Eli, when he thinks that Eli is calling out to him, he uses this phrase, hineni. Can you guys say that with me? Hineni. Hineni. Remember that phrase. Here I am. Because he thought that Eli was calling to him. When God speaks to Abraham and calls to him, Abraham responds, here I am. When God speaks to Jacob in a dream, Jacob responds, here I am. The same phrase. When God asks for a prophet to speak his message in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah responds, here I am. This is the appropriate, the only response that is appropriate when you are in the presence of God. Here I am. I am focused on what you're saying. I'm listening to your instruction. O Lord, my God, my Father, my King, I am here to follow you. Here I am. And that is what Moses is doing in this instance because he realizes that this is no ordinary moment. So what does God tell Moses in this instance? Let's see. In verse 5, Chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Moses doesn't even hesitate. He flings those sandals aside, I picture. He also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then God says to Moses, The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have been given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. I am aware of their sufferings, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, Hittite, Amorite, and Perizzite, and Hivite, and Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. I have 
heard their cry. I have seen their affliction. I have seen their uh, oppression. And I am responding to that right here, right now. How? I am sending you, Moses, to deliver my people. This was Moses' call. This was Moses' turning point from being a shepherd for the rest of his life to being a mouthpiece for God and working for him and delivering his people. And I used to think that there were no real-life examples of this until it happened to me. So here is where my story begins, and here is where uh, God's power was shown in my life. This is a picture of me. People say I haven't changed much. This is actually my graduation day in high school. So at this point in high school, I had a plan for my life. This is, I love children, and I always have, and I have a gift for teaching. So I envisioned myself as an elementary education school teacher. That's what I originally wanted to do with my life. And everybody knew that that's what I was going to do because from the time I was young, I said, I'm going to be a teacher. That's what I want to do. And whenever I was at this graduation, the Oklahoma Conference education representative came to my graduation because he watched me grow up from the time I was little. So he came to celebrate, and he came to me after my graduation, and he said, you want to be a teacher, right? I said, yes, I do. I've always wanted to be a teacher. He says, okay, so after you finish college, I want you to call the office. When you finish, call us. You already have a job. So the plan was I was going to go to school at Southwestern Adventist University, graduate with honors, and I was going to uh, call home a conference, and I was going to work as a teacher for the rest of my life, forever and ever, amen. And it's a pretty good plan. It was secure, right? Uh, and so as I was going through this process, I, I registered at Southwestern, got into my elementary ed program, and I absolutely loved it. I thought to myself, this is where I'm supposed to be. I love this, and I enjoy it, and I'm good at it. The Lord has blessed me with this gift until I hit my turning point. See, my sophomore year, my second year of college, there was a... Vespers that I went to, and I still remember the name of the Vespers. It was On My Road to Damascus. That was the title of the Vespers, and it was all of the theology majors, there were five of them, giving their testimonies about how the Lord called them to ministry. Well, that sounds like a fantastic thing and such a big blessing. So me and my friends, we got together. We went to this Vespers program. Uh, it was in the church, and we gathered together, did the singing, did the worship, and, and we were already really blessed by the program. This, this first person, this first future pastor comes up and starts to give their testimony. And mind you, this is a time in my life when I wasn't sure if God was real or not. Young people, you will have a time in your life when you are not sure whether the faith that you grow up in is the real faith or not, or whether God is real or not. We all go through that phase. This was this phase in my life. So we sat down together. This person comes up and begins to give their testimony, and I hear an audible voice that says, Alexis, I want you to preach. And it was so real that I turned to my friends 
And I said, what'd you say? And they looked at me and they said, we didn't say anything. Shh, we're trying to hear the program. Huh, that was weird. Okay, so this person gives their testimony, comes off the stage. The second future pastor comes up and begins to give their testimony, and I hear it again. Alexis, I want you to preach. And I looked around, and nobody was talking. And I thought to myself, I either ate something bad today, or there's more to what's happening here. And so I said, no. The second person gets down, the third person comes up and begins to talk, and I hear it, and it's really loud this time. Alexis, I want you to preach. And I said, this is a sacred moment. And I, my reaction in that moment was, no, I'm not doing it, and I don't want to, and you can't make me. I was pretty stubborn. I still am stubborn. But uh, I, I just, no, I don't want to do it. So it happened three times. The program finished. Everybody thought that I was acting a little strange, but that was because I had this experience. Um, and I continued to go about my classes as usual. I ignored it and pretended like it didn't happen. But there is something that happens when you ignore the call of God. See, where once you were really comfortable, you become uncomfortable because you know that you're actively going against what the Lord has asked you to do, right? I don't know if you all can relate to that. But I became uncomfortable. I started not to do well in my classes, not be able to sleep, and I started to struggle. And there was a point where I could not take it anymore, and this was a few months later. I still had this at the forefront of my mind. So... I said, I can't take it anymore. I've got to do something about this because God is making me uncomfortable, and I know he is, and I'm mad at him. So I went to my dorm room. I skipped a class for this experience. I closed the door. I locked the door because I knew I didn't want to be disturbed, and I knelt beside my dorm room bed, and I began to cry. And I said, Lord, I don't know why or how or I don't know what happened for that Vespers, but I do know that you were saying something. If it was you, and if you're real, what I heard was that you want me to preach. I'm not a preacher. I'm a teacher. I love to work with kids. But preaching is not my forte. Don't know how. And then I said something that I probably shouldn't have said. I said, Lord, if you want me to preach... Give me an opportunity to preach, and I will gladly go preach for you. Done deal. I, I got up. All of that burden that was on my heart, completely gone. I reached for the doorknob, and this is not just a few seconds afterwards. And as I reached to turn the door, the phone rings. I pick up the phone, and they say, is Alexis Rivera there? I said, yes, this is she. He said, this is Pastor James Black from the North American Division. He was the uh, youth director at the time for the NAD. And he said, you used to be an adventurer director at a very young age, right? Yes, I did. So we're having an adventurer convention in a few months, and we are looking for a speaker for the Sabbath program. 
So I was wondering if you would be willing to come and preach for us. My jaw dropped and I said, oh God, I didn't mean for you to answer that quickly. But what are you supposed to say? What do you say? In that moment, when God so directly answers your prayer, what do you say except yes? Here I am. I hung up the phone, I dropped to my knees, and I said, Lord, here I am. You've got my attention. That was my turning point in my life. I knew at that moment that God was real. I knew at that moment that he was calling me to do something greater with my life. And I knew that I would forever follow him every step of the way. So back to Moses' story. The same thing happens to him. He has this turning point where these two separate stories converge, where these people who are being oppressed in Egypt are crying out to God, and God says, Moses, I'm calling you to go and save my people. He chooses Moses. He sends him to his chosen people. He hears and he calls out to Moses, who in that point is hurting because of his past. And he hears and he responds to his people by saying, Moses, you are to go to my people and you are to share that message of freedom with them. I am calling you and I want you to listen and follow this call. And Moses was afraid, right? He says, "How am I, who am I to be able to do this for you, Lord? I can't speak. I don't have the confidence. But every step of the way, even as you read it in the Bible and you read Moses' story, Moses progresses from being hesitant and being afraid to being advised and to being growing into a mighty leader and spokesperson for God. When you answer the call of God, and when you say, here I am, Lord, I'm willing and I'm listening, God helps you grow. He changes you, and he helps you to grow into a powerful leader for him who can make a difference. God says to each and every one of us, deliver messages. As has been said already, um, Jesus is coming soon. There's way too much happening in this world that, does, that, that demonstrates that his coming is closer and closer and closer. Sooner or later, that balloon's going to burst, right? Just like in the children's story. We need to be ready. And the way that we are ready is to prepare our hearts by saying, here I am, I am willing, and I am listening. Now, I could talk for hours about how the Lord has prepared me for ministry because there's many phases to this journey that I have been on. But I'm going to go back to that first preaching experience. I did not have any preaching training, and I was terrified. And for the months leading up to this sermon that I was supposed to preach, by the way, I asked how many were going to be there. It was about 300 people. It's a great way to get started in the preaching world. So I studied, and I prayed, and I went to the theology professors, and I said, I need help. I've never preached a sermon of this caliber. Can you help me prepare? So they showed me how to put together a good sermon, and and I had about this much in notes for my sermon. There was a stack. And even on the flight, I was flipping through my notes and reading through the notes and, and not sure how I would do it, even to the point where I was sitting in the chair backstage, 
And the person who was emceeing the program looked at me. He says, are you ready to go? I said, I'm terrified. He says, God will take care of you. And I said, all right. So I got up there with all of my notes, with my Bible in hand. I put it in the podium, and I just thought to myself, I don't need the notes. And so I put the notes aside, and I began to preach. Let me tell you, I didn't have any training, but I preached with confidence that day. I preached word for word the scriptures without having to look at the Bible to read it. I preached powerfully like I had never done before. And that's not because of me. That's because of the Holy Spirit. That is because God blessed this willing, humble heart to be able to preach that wasn't equipped to. God blessed me to be able to do it. And he's been blessing ever since. Um, When you are willing, God blesses. When I went home after that experience, um, I again felt the press of God to change my major from education over to theology. And and I didn't know what I was going to do with that, because remember I had a plan. I was going to be a teacher. And I remember being told that if you switch over to theology, uh, that is not a secure place for you to go. And it was scary. But God is my security. And he has always taken care of me. When you are a single woman who is willing, when you're a single person, I should say any person, who is willing to follow the call of God, no matter where that may lead, God will always have your back. He will always take care of you. And he will open doors bigger than you ever imagined. I never imagined that I would be serving in the Texas Conference. I would be working in an office and serving in children's ministries, which is where I wanted to go to begin with, because education is children's ministries, really. But God had something bigger. God had something greater. I never imagined that I would get to serve as a chaplain in a hospital and bless so many people, but that was a transformative experience for me, and I'm going to share more in, in the afternoon seminar about that. God changed my life in that. I never imagined that when I didn't have a job and I didn't have but maybe $2,000 in my bank account that was running low because I wasn't working when I moved to Texas, that God would provide friends that would take care of me, that God would provide a job that would teach me the skills that I would need to be a good administrator in my office. Every part of my journey that God has shared with me prepares me for the next step. And I can say with confidence that my God has taken care of me and that he will take care of you. My God is real. My God is powerful. My God is mighty. He is my provider, and he is my empowerer, and he is your provider, your empowerer, and your caretaker as well. But the key word that you need to say and that I have to say every day because sometimes my faith is still tested is, Hineni, here I am that act of submission, that willingness to say, Lord, you're in charge. I got my full attention on what you have to say. Speak to me. I'm listening, and I will follow. When I returned and had this experience, I actually wrote a song about it. I'm not going to sing it because I forgot my guitar, unfortunately. Um, But here are the lyrics, and I just wanted to share this with you. Here I am. Lord, I'm listening. Take my hand and lead me on. Each and every day, I choose to follow you each and every day. Lord, open up the way. 
here I am. That's a prayer that I still pray every day. And I pray that you all, church family, in this church experience of worshiping together, but also within your own hearts, that you pray this prayer every day. Listen to where the Lord leads. Choose every day to follow him. Because when you do that, he will touch your heart and he will show you just how real he is. If you would with me, would you sing, He Leadeth Me, just just the first stanza here. He leadeth me, O blessed thought, O words with heavenly comfort brought. Whate'er I do, where'er I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. He leadeth me. He leadeth me. together. Oh Lord God, I pray that each and every one of us here may say, here I am. I don't know what people are going through this Sabbath day. I don't know what their lives are like outside of this church. If they're going through difficulties, if you are pressing upon their hearts something by your Holy Spirit, but I pray that each one of us may have that willing heart that is open and listening because we trust you, Father. We believe that you are mighty, that you are powerful, that you help us to grow, and that you will empower us to do great things for you. We believe that you are calling us to serve and to share your gospel. And so I pray, Lord, with all of my heart, that you would guide, that you would lead, and that we would clasp you by the hand and follow and say, here I am. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.